Good morning. Welcome to LifeHouse. That was a better welcome than uh, I can give, but welcome. And if you have your Bible, we're in Exodus. If you'd like to open it, <clears throat> we're going to be covering a lot of ground this morning. We're going to be in chapter 12, starting in verse 34 or so, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 14, verse 31. We are not going to read every verse. You can do that this week in life groups. We're going to read quite a bit, though, this morning, and I'm just going to uh, set it up for us a little bit, all right? So last week, we were walking through the Passover, and if you missed that, that's... Uh, a hugely significant event in the life of Israel and actually pointing forward to Christ, a, life, a, an event, a huge event in our life. So just Israel has been in bondage to Egypt for 430 years. And they've lost really any sense of identity that they had. They are slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, a land not their own, and they've just lost their sense of identity. And the Passover, God making a way, we're going to see as we walk through these verses how God begins to shape and form their identity and forming them and shaping them into the people that he's called them to be. And as we read through this, I just want you to pay attention how God is giving his people identity and how he's shaping them for their calling, all right, as we walk through this. So this part of Exodus in chapter 12 and the last part of it, which we won't walk through and I would encourage you to read, it says, a mixed multitude, I think it's around verse 38, a mixed multitude went out with them. So it's not just the Israelites even right there at the beginning, it's a mixed multitude. It's everyone who trusted in the blood of the Lamb and who is following Moses and Aaron out of bondage into freedom. And so that's uh, the setting. God And, and Exodus, this book's going to take a shift right here. Now we're starting into what would be known as the second half of this book. And it's important for us to remember that Exodus is the second book of the Bible, part two of a five-book series, no, the Pentateuch, and, uh, and it's hugely and intricately connected to Genesis. And in Genesis, when sin came into the world through Adam, sin came in, the world as we know it, the fallen world came into existence and God promised that he will deliver his people through the line of Abraham. And this narrative of how God loves us and wants to set us free and takes the initiative to set us free, we watch unfold now with the Israelites and we know that's pointing directly to Jesus and to his people, the church. And so just watch as this unfolds, how God's forming an identity and he's leading his people free. I'm gonna pray. Usually I'll read scripture and then pray. I'm gonna pray and we're just gonna roll up our sleeves and get to work, all right? Father, we thank you for your presence this morning, even singing 
to you, Lord, we sang about you saving us and you delivering us. You're our Jesus, our Savior. And we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for your word that is alive. We thank you that it doesn't return void. And I pray this morning every heart would be great, fertile soil that would bear much fruit. And Lord, I ask for your anointing as we just look into your scripture this morning. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. And Father, we're so grateful. In the authority of Christ, we pray. Amen. First point, as we go through this again, Exodus 12, verses 33 to 1431. So if you have your Bibles, it's a couple of chapters. Not going to plow through it. Reading the end of chapter 12 is is God uh, leading his people out. And so here we are, starting in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. I'll start there. First point, if you're taking notes, I think I have five this morning. First point is this. We are set apart. The word in the scripture we're going to read is consecrated. All right? We are set apart. 13, 1 and 2 says this. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Again, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Now, if you remember, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God clearly said that Israel is his firstborn son. All right, I'll read that verse to you. Uh, Exodus 4.20, God instructs. He said clearly, Israel is God's firstborn son. And so we, people who have trusted in Christ, are God's firstborn. We're consecrated. We're set apart. That word consecrated means set apart to something holy. That's what it means. And so... You and I, as we look at this story and we read this narrative, we see God pointing forward and we remember the New Testament passages. Ones like 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, I'm not my own. You can probably finish it. I was what? Bought with a price. Right? We're set apart. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. Romans 14, verse 8 is another scripture that points to this. It says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are what? The Lord's. It's important for us to get. This is hugely important for spiritual formation to be the people God's called us to be. We are not our own. We are consecrated. We are set apart. We were bought with a price. For us to live or to die, we're the Lord's. In other words, this smacks right at our culture, doesn't it? Because what are we taught in our culture? I am the Lord and there is no other. Right? Isn't that what our culture is? And say, well, I'll decide what I'm going to do. I'll make my own decisions. I'm my own man. Right? Isn't that the prevailing thought of our culture? And it creeps in to 
Christianity and it creeps into church and it creeps into things like, and it's like, well, I do this because I like this. Or I go here because I like this. I like the singing. And so then, well, I go there because I like the teaching. Or I go here because I like the youth group. Or I go there because I do this. And the focus of all of that is what? I. But right at the beginning, we see God forming the Israelites. He's shifting. He's been revealing who he is. First part of Exodus. God's revealing that he's the one true God. Right? He's showing Pharaoh. I'm the true God. Now he's shifting and he's, re- and he's beginning to form his people. And we can see this carrying through. You and I are not our own. We were bought with a price. Everything in life is rooted in that reality. Please hear me on this. Everything. Everything in our life should be rooted in the reality that we are set apart for his purposes. We're not our own. That means... Who I marry. That means how I treat my wife. You mean I can't just treat her however I want? No, because God has some instructions for me. I'm to treat her as unto the Lord, I'm to lay my life down. So, how I parent. I don't get to parent how I want, I have to parent. How God wants. Why? Because I was bought with a price. I'm not my own. And so it creeps into how, how am I going to spend money? Or steward money would be the right word. Because it's not mine. See, it, it hits at everything American. And yet, this is the beginning of God forming his people. He's saying... You're consecrated. You're set apart for my purposes. So our job is to steward money. It's all God's. And just let that sing all kinds of things, everything. I have a friend who got a nice vehicle. Nothing wrong with getting nice vehicles, all right? But I had a friend who got a nice vehicle, and there was a family who needed to take a trip, and he had just gotten this vehicle. And he lent it to this family to take a pretty long trip. Now you think, would you do that? You just got your new vehicle, probably haven't had it two or three weeks. The Holy Spirit prompted him, said, I want you to let let them take Take your vehicle. Now, let me just tell you this story. This wasn't the family that keeps everything with Clorox wipes and tidy, all right? This was the family who things were hanging out of their car doors when they drove in. You know what I'm talking I mean, it's like there was, there was uh, four or five days of living in the back seat, that kind of thing. And, and a, we'll just say a passel of kids, all right? And they took his new vehicle. It wasn't the same when he got it back. It didn't smell the same when he got it back. That new car smell was gone completely. And he was smiling. Hear me on this. It wasn't his car. It was God's car. And if God wanted it, 
to be used for that, God could have it be used for that because he understood this principle. I'm not my own. You know what he did? He offered to let him take the car next year and the next year. And I think we're consecrated. To be in, to be in Christ means that you and I are set apart for his purposes. John 5, 24 says we've crossed over from death to life. If we're in Christ, we've already crossed over from bondage to death into life in Christ. He's set us free. We're free because nothing we have is ours. Our time is not our own. Finances, we're to steward them. Our children, they're God's. We need to get that in us. We're set apart. We're consecrated. Number two, we're called to celebrate God together. All right? I'm going to read verses 3 to 10, and I think it'll be on the screen. But the point is this, second point. First point, we're set apart. Second point, we're called to celebrate God together. Starting in verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from his place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep his service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of your hand, sorry, you shall tell your son, On that day, it is because of your hand as a memorial between your eyes. I can't read this morning. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. I think God wants us to stop there. Are we telling our sons why we do what we do? It's hard for me to read. I just want to pause. This is the instruction, formation of a people of God, instructing our children. Why do we do what we do? Why do we gather on Sundays? Why do we take communion? Why do we pray for one another? Why do we give stuff away? It's because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Verse 9. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep the statute at its appointed time from year to year. All right. We're called by God to remember. We're called by God to celebrate, to worship See, he's calling his people, he's forming his people. He said, you're set apart. Now he says, I want you to have this feast, which starts with a fast, this type of fast, no unleavened bread. I want you to observe this statute, it says. I want you 
to do these things to celebrate and remember who I am and what I've done. You and I are called to celebrate. Every week, we remember the Sabbath, right? Every week, we, we gather together. It's why we're so passionate about what it looks like to be a people called together, not just floating around. Not just the American ideal of Christianity is like we float in when we feel like it and we float out. It's what it means to be formed together, to be the people of God and celebrate together. We, it's, this is important. Like these gatherings, it's important. We remember the Sabbath. We, we, last week we celebrated the Passover and the Lord's Supper. And uh, through the pandemic year, we kept moving forward by faith. And I'm happy to say now we're at a place where we're once again putting out the Lord's Supper every week as part of, on the first month, the first Sunday of the week, we do it corporately, but we'll have it available for everyone who would want to as part of your response at the end in places. It's something we do, and it's something we do to honor and to remember and to celebrate God bringing you and I out of our Egypt out of our bondage to slavery and death and bringing us into freedom, into life and to him. That's what we do. So it's important to remember that. Years ago, God saved us quickly, is what they were telling their kids. But there wasn't time for the bread to rise. The leaven, there wasn't time. It was unleavened bread. And, there, and God did quickly with his hand. He brought them out. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for, for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is what God's forming you and I. He's forming them into his people, the Israelites, pointing to the New Testament. He's forming you and I, all believers, the church together, life house, to, to be a royal priesthood, every one of us proclaiming his excellencies. That's what he wants done. He has a purpose. He set you apart. He set me apart for this purpose, to remember, celebrate, honor him, and to proclaim his excellencies to the whole world. It's a missional verse also. It's what he's called us to. Number three, God is merciful to us and leads us by his Holy Spirit. When I was reading this passage and studying for it, when I first came across these verses, I didn't immediately think mercy. And as I read and as I studied and as I understood, this is the mercy of God, how he began to lead his people. So they're free He's leading them out, and I want you to watch as we read these. Well, let's read the verses first, okay? Starting in 17, this is chapter 13, verse 17 uh, to 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds, when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness 
toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear 400 years ago. He made them swear, uh, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones with you from here. Verse 20. And they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night night did not depart from before the people. A few things that jumped out at me about this. There was a short trek, a direct trek that went by the sea. Well, well-traveled roads, places you could buy goods. Like if you study that, there, this is well-traveled, places to buy goods, and it would have been the obvious route, it would have made sense, and that's not where God took him. God took him, it says, the long way. The long way. Around the wilderness. Actually, it says in a desert road in another place. There's a desert road. And you could have went by the sea. Sometimes God's mercy takes us on a longer journey than we anticipated. Sometimes it's the mercy of God. Do you see his mercy? Lest they would see war and want to turn back. And you'll see that in God's people, the Israelites. You'll see how they want to turn back and go to Egypt, go back into slavery when they encounter difficulties. But God is merciful in taking them along. I want you to think about your life for a second. Think about the times that you want an answer now from God. Think about the times when God's taking you around the long road. And maybe you can look back and see how merciful that's been because of the things he's done in your heart along the way. And the rough edges that have been polished off. And the sin that's been revealed that you could repent and be changed. God's mercy oftentimes takes us the long way and we like, we want it now, don't we? We want it now. I was thinking about this church thinking about the meetings, just the places we've met. I don't know if I can do this completely by memory, but we started out meeting at 2601 Cody Circle. I happen to like that house. I live there. And we went from there to the YMCA. Now, none of this made any sense. We went into the YMCA with 15 people. That included children and maybe pets. And we met in the aerobic room, and the aerobic room at the Franklin YMCA has mirrors all the way around. And we sat in a little circle, and we sang and we worshiped. And you, you know, those of us who were brave enough to raise our hands, you could check yourself out while you're raising your hands. You know, you could look, and you could see who was and wasn't. And, uh, and it was really awkward, like extremely awkward. Just when you're thinking in a circle with mirrors all around and you're looking at yourself. Wherever you look, it's yourself. And it's, it's like, it's just not good. And it didn't smell great either, all right? So then we graduated from the aerobic room to the gymnasium. That smelled worse. That smelled worse. And uh, it, we, we met on Sunday night at 6.30 and they stopped playing basketball at 6. And there were stinky towels laying all around. And we'd walk in the gym and it'd be like, oh my goodness. And so... We'd do our best to clean it up. Then 
we went to the factory, Building 8 at Franklin. We thought we were really cool. Fourth place. This is all in the course of a couple of years. Fourth place, factory, Building 8, Franklin, on Saturday nights. We thought, well, that's cool. That's going to be cool. Except that every time they had a wedding, which was about every other Saturday, we got bumped. So it was like, if you want to find Lifehouse, we meet at Building 8 on Saturday or Sunday night, whatever's available, or Monday, possibly, but that's what happened. So then we went there, so then we got this opportunity after a while to lease a building, Crossroads Boulevard, behind the old Dave Ramsey building in Cool Springs. That's where we met. I'm talking about the long journey, all right? So we met there. We signed a lease for three years. We thought, man, we have arrived until it was Christmas time trying to travel in Cool Springs and get around. But anyway, all that. And then from there, guess where we went? Back to the Franklin YMCA. <laughs> and from the Franklin YMCA, we went to the basement at 5083 Main Street, leasing it. From there, after a few years, we went to the middle school and everyone thought we were crazy because we didn't have to set up. And we said, no, we're gonna go set up. And from there, and I'm just want to say, the Holy Spirit was leading us. I really believe that. Like this isn't just, a book could be written about just, I remember just saying, hey, I think we maybe should go to the middle school. And I remember telling my wife that, and I remember the response wasn't great, all right? <laughs> and quickly, God met with her and had faith. But I remember the response of everyone's eyes. I remember getting the team in the car and driving out to the middle school. And it's like I wanted to show them how nice it was. But then as we drove out, I realized there's nothing out there. Now there's a lot out there, but there was nothing out there then. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's a nice building. <laughs> so it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's a nice building. Anyway, but God was leading us. And through a year later, less than a year later, 11 months, we moved back to the basement. But now, by God's grace, we were the owners. We couldn't have foreseen any of that. We were a nomadic people. There was a prophetic word that said, you're a nomadic people and God's going to give you a place. And, and you, you want to believe those, but inside I was laughing. Because I'm like, that's really true. We're a nomadic people. And, uh, and we came back. And then a couple years later, through God orchestrating things and property selling and other things that would have never happened if we wouldn't have done all that, we were able to start, start to build this. I'm grateful for the long road. I didn't like any part of it. I never, I'll be honest with you, I, I liked one place, the factory at Franklin. I thought that was cool, and I liked it. I didn't like any other place, but I'm grateful for it. And God told me very quickly, it doesn't matter what you like. It's what I want, and we did our best here. So I'm just, bring that into your own life. Is God bringing you around on the long road? This is what 1 Corinthians 10 says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If he takes us on a difficult road, 
it is never too difficult for his power. He took the Israelites on a difficult road, not by the sea, took them on a long journey by the wilderness, and we're going to see what happens. Just remember, it's never too difficult for his power. The long journey and the desert road brought his people right to the edge of the Red Sea. Famous, famous narrative in the Bible. Here we are. Number four, God fights for us, all right? Exodus 14, 10 to 14, we'll read. When Pharaoh drew near, and let me just uh, say what happened. It looked like God's people were wandering around in confusion. And God actually says, Pharaoh's going to think we're wandering around in confusion, and he's going to come after us, and it's all God's plan. And God's long road for you may look like you're wandering around in confusion. It may look to you like you're wandering, but God is working his plan, and at just the right time, he'll break in, and he'll show his power, and it's never too strong for him. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it is, because there are, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Famous passage. Here's what I would say. The Israelites were on a nice journey. They'd been set free from Egypt. They're on a journey to the promised land. They're wanting to walk along the sea. After all, God's just killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians and delivered them. He's shown his mighty power. They're wanting to go on this nice journey. And instead, they go on this confusing long road that ends up being at the Red Sea to their back and looking up and seeing their enemy coming after them. Now, I want to tell you something about this enemy. Everyone in this army has just lost their firstborn son. I want you to think about that. So God's people look up to see it, and think about the attitude of that army who's coming after them. They've all just had their firstborn killed. I would say they're pretty angry. I would say they're pretty intent on doing as much destruction and damage and horrific things as possible. And the, and the Israelites, it says they were equipped for battle. They came out dressed for battle. The, the Egyptians gave them plunder, but the Israelites were not trained in war. They had been slaves for 430 years. They were not trained for battle. They were wearing costumes. They had been, they had the, the goods, but they didn't, they weren't trained. And God says, a lot of commentaries say that the better way to phrase that is God said, Moses said, God told Moses to say, shut up. That's actually a, a right translation. Be silent, or maybe in America, shut up and watch what I do. 
And so I just want you to think about that. They look up and they see this army headed for them. It's God's response. He's faithful when we're not. God fights for us. They want to go back to slavery, first sign of trouble. Maybe you've come to Christ. Maybe it's been difficult now in your life. And you think, well, wait a minute. Was I better off when I was a heathen? Was I better off? Maybe I was. This is what the Israelites, they want to go back at the first sign of trouble. And God's response is this. I want you to be silent. And I want you to watch what I do. Watch what I'll do in your life. Watch what I'll do through your life. Watch what I'll do to your enemies. And then the last point is this, number five. God destroys his enemies and he leads us into freedom. Verse 26 to 31. It says, then the Lord said to Moses. Now this is, first of all, if we took time, a few verses before this, God tells Moses, stretch out your hand and the sea parts, the Red Sea. And this is the ultimate reversal of creation. We've been going through the plagues and how that's reversing creation. And now, you know, when God formed the sea, it says they gathered together and dry land was formed. This is the ultimate reversal. The sea's parting. It's the ultimate reversal of creation. God is showing he's God over everything. And he parts the sea and the Israelites go through dry land. Then he says in verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had allowed that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Okay. This is the beginning of the Israelites embarking on this second stage, God forming his people. He's brought him out. He's took him on a journey they didn't expect, pushed them up against the sea, and now they've seen the sea part, they walk through, they've watched the sea gather together. And if you read that passage, you'll see it's interesting. The chariots and the horsemen were Pharaoh's pride. That was his symbol of strength. It says that the wheels came off of the chariots and the confusion. It's interesting how God attacks the very thing that they put faith in. And then the waters cover him and he destroys them. I'd like the band to come back up. As they're coming, I was thinking about how we, should, how we should pause to honor this and maybe what God would be speaking to us. In Hebrews, Hebrews says clearly that Jesus is a better Moses. 
it clearly says, Hebrews 3, Jesus' superiority over Moses. Jesus is the new Moses that came to deliver his people out of bondage of sin and death, out of a much more severe bondage than the Israelites were in in Egypt. And he came to deliver his people from a much worse Pharaoh than the Israelites endured. He came to deliver us from Satan himself. This points forward clearly to Christ. When we're baptized, we've been celebrating baptisms. Three or four out of the last five Sundays we've baptized. It's been wonderful. And when we're baptizing, we're identifying, we're expressing that we've come out. God has brought us out of slavery and bondage to sin, and he's given us a new life in Christ who is now our ruler and not Satan. And it, it's clear, and it's a demonstration of the old life being gone, and now we're going to follow in service because we're set apart and we're consecrated. We're going to follow in service to the Lord, and God begins to form us together. When we fight daily battles, they're real. All right? I'm not making light of our daily battles. But we should do... A lot of people say, oh, what I'm going through is an Exodus-like experience. And I want to say, if you're a Christian, that's not true. Your Exodus is behind you. Yeah. I want you to get this... No matter what difficulty you're walking through, hear me on this, it's not your... Exodus experience. If you're in Christ, that is behind you. God's brought you out of bondage to sin and death. And he's, and, and, and Satan being your ruler to now, he's your ruler and he's brought you into life. And John 5, 24 says you've crossed over from death to life. Your life eternal has begun. That's, that's what he's done. And he calls you from one existence into a new existence. He calls you out of one existence as a slave into a new existence as a slave to him. That's what we are. That's who we are. We're his people. And it's not optional. And this is what it's like he's called us to gather together to worship and remember and honor and celebrate and be a priesthood that proclaims his excellencies to the world. And it even goes so far and says in the Bible that this is how the world will know. That he really is the one true God as they see our love for one another and our commitment together to him. It's like it's a picture to the world. So bottom line, we're set apart, called together, led by his spirit. Some people say, well, if I, if I just could see a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire, I just want to say we have something better. We have someone better. We have the Holy Spirit, God himself, who chooses to dwell in us, that if we will listen, we will hear his voice. If we're thirsty, he'll fill us. And things happen like my friend who got a new car and lends it to people to go on vacation with passels of kids and ratty ones at that. I'm not telling you who it is because I'm making fun of them. But anyway... Um, it's no one here. It's in my past life. And uh, I, just, I just feel this, though. Some people 
maybe you are on the outside looking in and you've not crossed the line of faith. You realize there's not a clear time that you trusted in Jesus as your salvation. I want you to know that today you can be made new. You can be saved. And it all it all it takes is applying the blood of Christ to your life, the doorpost of your heart. Secondly, I believe there are people here who are going through things right now that look like confusion, the long journey, right? You're in the midst of that. You know God saved you, but what you're walking through and the road that you're on right now is very confusing And it's actually maybe put you at a place where the Red Sea's at your back and the army's coming at you. And that's real. We're going to make opportunity to be prayed for. I feel like God wants to really impart his presence to people who are walking through real difficult situations. God's leading. We forget that. The Israelites forgot God was leading. Like, Moses, what have you done to bring us out here? Only that we want to go back to Egypt. And that's what we can do. Like, wait a minute. My Egypt's behind me. This is a real difficulty. I need to be full of the Holy Spirit. I need God's grace. And we're going to make them, as we sing, we're going to respond with this. You, you, we're going to ask people to stand and sing in a moment. We're going to say there's communion available. At the back, probably at the side, there'll be a couple of trays. You can do that on your own if you want, to, as just to remember and celebrate. But if you'd like prayer, if you're in a difficult journey, road, confusing, and you'd like prayer, we're going to have people to pray with you on my left and your right. So we're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to respond, we're going to pray, and we're going to give. There are baskets in the front and back to give. Would you stand with me? Lord, Jesus, thank you that you are superior to Moses. Thank you for your Bible, that every word points to you, Jesus, that you are the hero of the Bible. You're our Savior, our provider. I love the song that we sang this morning. You are my Jesus, my Savior. And Lord, I pray that every one of us makes that true. And more than that, Lord, you've all called us to be together to be your church, consecrated, set apart. Lord, we honor you, we worship you, we remember you, we celebrate you, and we want to receive from you this morning. In your name we pray, amen.